0: Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR. On Defensive Podcast it's me Chris Howard from Lace Partners as always I am delighted that you wonderful listener could be here to join us and I have my partner in crime back with me after a little time off Emily Onis are you feeling rejuvenated and refreshed after some warm summer Spanish sunshine
1: I am and I always complain about whether I'm too hot or too cold Chris I was too hot <laughs> I could not get comfortable it was that sunny and that lovely
0: <laughs> so you've come back you're feeling refreshed and what better way to kick off post wonderful holiday than to do a podcast with me and today we've got Ivan Wilcock who is the CEO of the Empowering People Group and Managing Director of Advisor Plus Yvonne how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great thanks Chris I'm really excited to be here thanks so much for inviting me on
0: Now, it's lovely to have you on the podcast today. So we've had a bit of a chat beforehand to talk about what should we talk about on this podcast? And Emma and myself and Yvonne, we talked about potentially manager empowerment which I think is a very powerful sort of conversation starter. And so that's what is going to be our focus today. Before we get into a few of our questions that we'd like to quiz you on, Yvonne, though perhaps just for the benefit of our listeners, if you can just give us a bit of an overview as to who you are, what you do, and also the Empowering People Group and Advisor Plus as well.
2: I'm Yvonne Wilcock, I'm the CEO of the Empowering People Group and of course we all love an acronym so I'm going to just refer to us as EPG going forwards and also of Advisor Plus too. My background, I'm an HR Director by trade and I've worked in some large enterprises uh, both in financial services and the telecom sectors and I actually joined Advisor Plus back in 2015 and since then I became the CEO in 2020 and then we developed the Empowering People Group EPG and I became the CEO of EPG in October of last year, so coming up to my first year anniversary. EPG overall is a collection of organisations who together create a leading UK provider of digitally enabled HR solutions and expert advice. And we are now four businesses strong, so there is Advisor Plus, who I'll tell you a bit more about later. We also have Working Transitions, who provide career coaching and outplacement services. Halborns, who are our employment law firm, And our most recent acquisition is Learning Nexus, who deliver online digital content and learning management platform, particularly in the specialist areas of health and safety and compliance.
1: Amazing, Yvonne. Thank you very much for that introduction and a really nice segue thinking about empowering people group, EPG, as to what we might mean by manager empowerment. Everyone might have their own perspective on this. So it'd be great to get your take first of all, Yvonne, as to what that means for you and maybe the work that you do, obviously, with the organisations that you work with.
2: Absolutely. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there, right from the off, which is this means different things to different people, either as individuals, as businesses, at different stages in your development as an organisation. So I'm certainly not necessarily going to speak for everybody in one go. But my sense of this, and I think we have to take the context of the world that we're living in into account right now as well. So since the pandemic, for me, managers in all of our businesses are facing so much more complexity into. In terms of the issues that they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And there's loads of these little phrases out there. So the great resignation, what is that? Well, I guess it's this ongoing economic trend that we are seeing where employees have voluntarily resigned from their jobs en masse really, to a degree that we've not seen for many years. That sort of started in the wake of the pandemic in early 21, but is certainly still continuing a pace right now. And if we think about why people are leaving their businesses, among the most cited reasons, certainly that I've read, is around wage stagnation amid the rising cost of living that we're all experiencing and we can see on the horizon is only going to continue. Limited opportunities in terms of career advancement potentially, work environments that aren't necessarily aligned to individuals in terms of their own values or culture, some lack of benefits and inflexibility as well in terms of remote working policies. And I guess all of this is kind of adding in some way to an individual thinking about how satisfied they are with where they work and their business. I guess another phrase out there at the minute, the quiet quitting as well. And and effectively, I think there are two schools of thought on this. And it's interesting when you think quiet quitting as a concept was initially sort of introduced in about 2009, so quite some time ago. And it was a a US organisation that was actually looking at what was going on in Venezuela at the time and the limiting of, of, of ambition over there. And they were using it in the context. Of a bit of a work to rule. So, doing what you're employed to do in the hours that you're employed to do it. I think what we're seeing, and, and certainly it's come to most of our consciousnesses, hasn't it, following the viral TikTok video and all of the interesting um, publications that have followed that. And I think some of that perspective that comes through from that is that it's not necessarily about working to rule that's got the connotations of disrupting business. It's more about how us as individuals can look after ourselves better. So avoid burnout, look after your mental health and wellbeing. So managers, either way, these things, along with managing so much more, particularly as an impact from COVID and the pandemic, things like managing hybrid teams who are more remote from you, the increasing incidence of mental health matters in the workplace, much more focus on individual employee wellbeing and things in the external environment that impact people in our teams and their productivity as well, as I said, their mental health and wellbeing. So that's what a manager is facing alongside having to do what they need to do to deliver value for the business. So things have changed hugely. So for me, manager empowerment is about giving those managers the resources The skills to be able to self-manage so that they can do things quickly, efficiently and with confidence, knowing that what they're doing and the way they're behaving and how they're dealing with things is consistent. It minimises risks for themselves, the individuals in their team and the business. And ultimately, it just helps to reduce all of that complexity in people management.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And we talked on a couple of our podcasts from an employee experience lens, who owns employee experience. And one of the discussions that we had with head of digital employee experience, Toppy Sadiku at uh, CraftLine, she said, well, actually, it's kind of everyone that needs to own it. It's not one department or one thing. And Within that is line managers themselves owning that employee experience. And so can you just sort of reflect and give me some thoughts in terms of the impact that successful kind of empowerment, manager empowerment has on the employee experience?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And if I think back to a bit of an example, then about what are we experiencing now? So, what are our customers, our clients, prospects that we potentially want to work with, people that we know from an HR perspective? What are people talking about? And I guess one example I'd give is that across EPG at the minute, we're experiencing lots of people talking to us about how we, I guess you might term it contemporary policies so how do we introduce guidance and support for managers and policies that are driven by this growing realisation that we've all got that we need to be able to support complexity but in a really simple way and some of the things that people are looking at now is tackling what to be honest have probably historically been pretty taboo subjects in the workplace so things like menopause and infertility gender transitioning the cost of living that we've talked about as well things like domestic abuse policies as well So lots of things that in the past, managers wouldn't have dreamt of starting conversations with individuals about, and certainly even today are very nervous about even being involved in. And that comes from a desire to not want to make things worse, to want to be making sure they're doing the right thing at the right time. And I think in all of those things, for me, the common thread there is that businesses want to be much more proactive in helping to make sure that everyone who works in their organisation is recognised as individual is treated fairly is well supported no matter what their circumstances so from my perspective and certainly in epg we strongly feel that it's vital that managers are well informed that they feel empowered to have those positive conversations around these complex topics, because in doing that, it's definitely going to help the employee experience. So think about the person on the other side of the conversation who recognises that the manager sees them as an individual. He's putting themselves in their shoes and wants to work with them to make sure that they can support them in their workplace. All of that, for me isn't about pushing more work onto managers. It's about giving them the confidence and the right support to engage with the people in their teams in a way that nurtures that emotional commitment that the individual has to their manager, their peers, their organisation. And if we can do that, if HR can drive that human value proposition to give people in their business that support, then together we're going to create much healthier working environments for everybody.
1: I absolutely agree, Yvonne, and, and just reflecting on what you've said there, and you started to mention about if HR can do X, Y, Z. I just sort of wonder, actually, sometimes whether HR has a trust issue maybe historically with people managers or whether there's an element of am I comfortable in letting go like what does that mean for me and my role as an HR function or are we putting more risk if if a manager people manager has those conversations no matter how much information we give them so is HR part of the problem just to be a little bit provocative possibly
2: At the end of the day, for me, HR is a title, Human Resources. For me, personally, I'm not sure HR is the right title for the function in a business anymore that is engaged with the experience of people who work for that organisation. It has always intrinsically been about people, but I think we can do more as HR leaders to make that really clear that that's where we're starting from. We're starting with people in the service of driving value for the business. That's what we're all here to do. And as the old adage goes, at the end of the day, we are all people. So whether we're in HR, whether we're a line manager ourselves, and actually people don't leave companies, they leave the people that they work with and predominantly the managers that are there and they're their first port of call on a day-to-day basis. So... That manager empowerment is going to be vital to making sure that the issues that are already escalating, the problems that we're seeing with all of those things we talked about, resignation, the war for talent, we've got to make sure that as as a function, we're in a position where we have got that trust. But to your point, Emma, I think trust comes not just from the words on a page, but the way in which we support the managers to bring that to life. So an HR function, a people function, as I would like to call, it, absolutely is responsible for developing the strategies, the policies, the practices that align with the goals of the business and address the issues that are barriers in their business to effective employee engagement. And therefore, an essential part of relieving the pressure on the HR function to give them more opportunity to think about what they need to do and to work on the strategic elements is giving empowerment to managers to be able to deal with more of those things on a day-to-day basis at the coalface early informally and stopping things from escalating
0: No, that's really, really interesting. Yvonne, can I ask you a quick question? It just popped into my head. So you obviously deal with lots and lots of businesses and you see almost best practices, organisations that do this, they empower their managers really well, perhaps versus organisations that don't. When you come across the types of organisations that don't or the organisations that do, are there any kind of traits? Do you ever sort of come across businesses and you think, I can see from the way in which you guys are operating, you really do empower your managers and that's shining through in how you are operating as a business?
2: I think the trend that I would say differentiates on either side of that, Chris, really, is it's the people who are able to see that employee engagement Mm. needs to be at the center of what they do so whether you're Mm. big large or small as an organization you might actually only some of the organizations we see from an SME perspective might only employ 25 people all the way through to people who employ hundreds of thousands the difference for me is those who recognize who impacts most the employee experience and It's about having the capacity and the ability within your organisation to represent that to the rest of the business. So regardless of the size of your business, as the person who's, who's accountable for the people agenda in that business, if you are able to get across... That alignment between this human value proposition, the engagement of people, and the absolute link to business performance. Because at the end of the day, why do we all work? We all work to make our businesses successful. And those that are able to spot that link and to be able to articulate it and can therefore then see and measure the impact of the changes they make on the business performance are the ones who intrinsically start to focus on employee engagement. Those who aren't able to do that, either from a perspective of they haven't got the voice in the business to do that, or they haven't got the data and the information to support mm. what they intrinsically know is going to be the impact those are the ones who often it's quite difficult to get the traction on the things that as hr professionals i'm confident everybody listening to this knows what they should be doing sometimes it comes down to have i got the tools have i got the metrics to be able to evidence the outcome from all of the things that we're putting in place
1: and to maybe pick up Linking to that, Yvonne, on your previous comment around, I guess, two things going hand in hand. So, HR or a people function being much more value. And purpose driven, and perhaps it ever has before, at least explicitly in in, a bi- in business language. Relying on empowering people managers to do certain things, there clearly is a link there. You know, in the work that we do with organisations, I do with with you know HR leadership teams around the operating model. You'll talk about the role of a business partner, role of a COE, role of shared services. How do we integrate all of that? Ah, oh, we're making some assumptions on what the business will do, so people managers will need to do X, Y, Z. It's seen as a big enabler enabling people managers to new ways of working. But I feel sometimes it's still seen as a little bit too challenging, i.e. you come up with an action plan, yep, we're going to do this to upskill our BPs. We know we need to do some things here and here and here. Oh, and we need to build line manager capability to empower them. It's seen as this big thing and sometimes when something is seen as really big it can be quite a hard rock to crack if I use that sort of phrase so I just wondered whether you've got any tips for organizations that are still seeing this thing as we know we need to solve it but where on earth do we start sort of some pearls of wisdom I guess and some small things that can make that big difference along the lines of skills giving resources the things that you shared earlier
2: yeah, absolutely I think the main message for me here Emma is just start somewhere sometimes we can just tie ourselves in knots to, to that point it feels too big enough to crack where do I start and therefore we don't start anywhere as a result of that we talk ourselves out of it and something else takes over the capacity and the time and the thinking so the first thing I would say is start somewhere and I think the thing for me is you can take really small steps and it's really interesting how the smallest things can have such a dis. Dispar- Proportionate impact. So, having a stated view that you want to recognize and engage people in your business and then doing a small thing very quickly that immediately does that. And it may well be just recognising some great practice that's already going on. You don't actually have to do anything. You just have to stop and look around you and see where you've got some great pockets of really good practice. Because there will be some, there is some in every organisation. And actually just taking that first step of recognising it, understanding it and amplifying it across your business, particularly if it follows a stated intent to to do more of that can be really powerful it's a no-brainer we all understand that employees who feel recognized and valued will deliver better work than those who are disengaged and there's loads of compelling data that supports that there's lots of studies out there and you know a recent Gallup survey showed that organizations that prioritize employee engagement are much more productive they've got less absenteeism, they're much more likely to retain your talent as a result so what that says to me is that if a person who works for you believes in the culture and value of the business and you can demonstrate on a regular basis that you're supporting what you say with real life examples, then they're going to take much more pride in their work. They'll be more loyal and with good talent at premium, then those are the kinds of things that you need to do. So recognize what's going on for me in your own business would be step one. Step two would be look at where you are and we've got to be realistic here. We've all got time pressures, cost envelopes, all that kind of stuff. And I would say, recognize what your potential is. So what time have you got? What capability have you got in your organization? What investment have you got available to you? And just take a little bit of time to say what's going to give me the quickest biggest bang for buck to demonstrate the first steps along this journey. You don't have to do it all in one go. Because if you try and plan this thing from soup to nuts, you're probably not going to get started. So where are you going to get a quick win? And for me, it's investing in that manager level because they're the ones who amplify it out. You might have a very tiny HR function, lots of line managers. So if you're going to invest anywhere invest in those and again if you are in a position where you've got data that helps you to even narrow that down that says actually it's not necessarily with everybody it's with this proportion because i can see my data is telling me that we could do better in this area then just that share and learn across the area that's fantastic and the area that could improve simple things like budding managers up great role models with people who are hungry and want to do it right but maybe don't have the experience those two people are coming from a positive mindset and if you put them together all of a sudden you've doubled the capability there so you don't have to spend loads initially but i would say think about where your best bang for buck is and if you can only do one thing equip the people who are accountable for effectively bringing your policies and processes to life which is your language population
0: yeah. And at this juncture, um, Debbie Mitchell, who works for Lace Partners, will be absolutely delighted for me to reference a book that she's written, which is on 50 top tips for employee experience. The reason why I'm saying that is because I just noted down what you said, Yvonne, about sometimes you can just do the small steps. And Debbie's got a few practical bits in that book, which she talks about, which can be applied whether you're a small business or a large business. So I just thought that's quite interesting. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, actually, when you're talking about Things that businesses can do. I just wondered if you, as somebody that speaks to businesses of all different sizes, large businesses, small businesses, are you seeing more of the C suite paying more attention to? being focused on employee experience, because as you said, organizations or certainly HR teams have realized how much more productive we can be as a business if we're taking employee engagement and employee experience a little bit more serious, if it's more top towards our agenda. So that's a long rambling statement, which comes to my ultimate question, which is, are you seeing more non-HR people, if you like, at the top of organizations suddenly making that recognition than perhaps we did two, three, four years ago?
2: Definitely. And the reason for that is not because they've all suddenly thought oh isn't HR great I know we should all go and be HR practitioners it comes down to the facts it boils down to commercial facts about the performance of businesses as we've said engaged people will perform better work are more likely to stay and are more likely to be in work more often when you are seeing your attrition rising you're seeing sickness rising because of pressures of work mental health proportion of absenteeism because of people feeling pressure and Directly from work, but also broader than that in their environment. All of that means you've got less capacity in your business to deliver the business outputs that you need. So, yes, they're interested because they can see I'm losing more people than I used to. I'm finding it really hard to find people to come in. When I do find them, it's taking forever. All of this is playing to capacity, which means business results are suffering. So, I'd love to say it's because, yeah, they've all come from the perspective of we should all get on this. But it doesn't really matter how they got there. The fact is, yes, they are. definitely paying more attention and the reality is you know employee engagement is always evolving it just does employee expectations were shifting pre-pandemic anyway but it is fair to say that the pandemic and everything that we've seen beyond that with the things we've talked about already has definitely accelerated the speed with which now businesses and organizations recognize the value in facilitating new ways of working and developing those engagement strategies so again we've got a great opportunity here with this being a topic of conversation in the business now we've got great opportunity to keep the momentum up because employees themselves they're the ones who are really prioritizing and deciding what inspires them to deliver the best work what gets them out of bed in the morning and people like richard branson in the past make make the point which is you know employees
1: come first take care of your employees they take care of your customers simple as that love it Love it, Yvonne. And I guess my final question, and Chris, you may have another one, I don't know, we'll find out in a second, is we've talked about sort of your top two or three tips around where can you start. Have you got one sort of big watch out or one lesson learned, which I guess is the flip side of that that you'd like to share? really interesting question, Emma. As an HR director myself,
2: the reality is you're accountable for all of the things to do with people in the organisation, but you're not necessarily responsible for the way in which that gets delivered. So there's always an element of risk. There's always a concern that people might not be up for the job or might not be willing to take on the responsibility of being the first line of that culture. So I think the thing for me, the watch out for me is once you've got the business on size, you've got the investment, you've got the capability, you know what steps you're going to take. And by this, these might be small things. This isn't necessarily a huge great transformation program. This is just about taking some steps. Once you've got the relevant stakeholders engaged in that, make sure you've got the right communication, engagement and tools in place for the people who are going to execute that to be able make it as simple as possible for them to do the right thing. If managers know what they're supposed to do, how they can do it, recognise that they're going to be consistent, there's no risk of them doing something that nobody else is expecting, and they know where to go to to get help and support if they're not quite sure, then they're likely to do the right thing. If you don't put those things in place, the risk that you run is that People go off and do it in their own way or actually more often than not, they choose not to do it at all because they don't want to put themselves or anybody else at the risk of getting it wrong. So that would be my one watch out. Make sure that you equip the people, whoever they are, who have got to execute this to do it really easily, really simply so that it gets embedded very quickly
0: yeah and that's a really really good kind of finishing point for today's podcast i can't believe that that's more than 30 minutes because i've actually only i've got another five or six questions but we only do a 30 minute podcast so that means this is going to have to be a to be continued and we'll leave our listener just on tenterhooks as to what some of the other questions that we'll be posing to uh, yvonne next time we get her on and definitely i think emma we will drag yvonne back onto this podcast because it was really really interesting getting your thoughts on all things manager empowerment and the linkages obviously with employee experiences well. On behalf of everyone at Lace Partners, thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast.
2: Thank you so much. I've
0: thoroughly enjoyed it. It's gone by in a flash. Thank you. It certainly has. And Emma, Partner in Crime, as always, thanks for joining me.
1: No, thank you for having me on, Chris. And thank you, Yvonne.
0: Of course, you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I would suggest if you want to see our back catalogue, you visit lacepartners.co.uk, have a little look into the insights section that we've got where you can see all of our podcasts, the different blogs that we write when we're running an event. We are running an event with the lovely people from Advisor Plus, which will take place on the 10th of November, which is around transformation and some of the key challenges that businesses are coming across at the moment. We're going to talk a little bit about quiet quitting as well. So yeah, there's lots of interesting stuff that we often post up there really really good to get Yvonne's views there and have Emma asking the questions and we are very thankful for her time we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast bye bye